Hale Varsity Radio every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. On Thursday, show from counterread.com, Brandon Vogel, former Colorado football head coach Gary Barnett, and staff writer for The Athletic, Mitch Sherman, that and more. Hale Varsity Radio is the best sports talk radio show around. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal have you covered every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Hale Varsity Radio. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on Church of the Corn. We are excited. We got a fun uh, show ahead of us tonight. Feels like it's been forever since we've done one of these. So, um, yeah, let's let's just get yeah. right into it. Drake, what's up, brother? How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, had a busy day today. Uh, finally put my uh, truck bed topper on my on my truck. So that was an eventful day. And other than that, just been kind of laying low and recovering from from my neck surgery so yeah it's uh well i, I seen you friday we were supposed to do our live show friday and unfortunately got rained out up at uh, indian hills so or indian creek isn't it indian creek yeah indian creek um ended up getting rained out unfortunately but yeah you showed me the back of the neck there and um yeah that, that was wild that you were just kind of out walking around like nothing even happened yeah it's been it's been weird um you know, more things have come up with it since Friday. So like the entire back of my neck going up to like the, the upper, I guess I would say the, the lower third of the back of my head is totally numb to the touch. So like, I don't feel water when I take a shower. I don't feel it when I'm icing it, anything like that. Um, but the last two days I've had an itch that I cannot scratch and it's driving me crazy because I don't know where it is. And my my skin doesn't register that I'm scratching. Oh, um, it's been driving me nuts. Other than that, um, you know, I'll I'll be honest. I'm I'm very lucky and thankful that the pain has not been what what I was told it would be in recovery. I, I was told it was going to be a lot worse than I've been lucky to experience. So you know, knock on wood for that. But um, for the most part, it's been mainly irritation more than anything other than that um you know the the discomfort and the pain that i am feeling is nothing close to what i had been battling you know for for the last 10 years so if this if this is what it is for the next five years or however long this is supposed to last i can live with this this is this is cake compared to what i had been dealing with and and you know with with what you were dealing with, was it like migraines or I guess what kind of what were you dealing with? Because you this it's basically spinal decompression you had had done, right? Well, no. So I do I I go to a chiropractor and I get some non-surgical decompression done, which is basically old school traction therapy. Mm-hmm. But instead of them strapping me up and yanking me, I lay down on a computerized table and it stretches me out, put lets me go back to normal and stretches me out again. Um, but yeah, so I have I have three compressed discs in my neck that are kind of squeeze. The way I understand it is they're compressing around the spinal cord, squeezing some of that fluid out and creating a ton of irritation, which has led to, you know, just crazy bad neck pain and ultimately a a ton of migraines. Um, So what I had done was they basically went in. um, I was awake for the surgery. I don't remember anything. And, they touched a bunch of different nerves and they did 
there's two, I guess there's a ton of nerves, but they did both sides. And basically what they did was they um, burned off or turned off my pain receptors, essentially. Um, they basically carterized them. So high, high intensity. Gosh, the sun's moving at the worst time. Um, high intensity heat and radio frequency to essentially carterize those and that relief can last anywhere from eight months to five years it's just all kind of dependent um but yeah eventually they'll have to go in and put in like a physical spacer in between each of those discs okay so yeah my, my wife actually asked uh like what you had surgery for and i'm a fucking idiot and i have <laughs> You know, even if you did tell me I didn't listen, so you go, I think he had his, his spine spaced apart. I think he did spinal decompression, which obviously is not the case at all. So I'll have to update her on there. But, um, yeah, well, no, we, that, we had talked about it. Like, I, I had made mention that that was going to happen in the future. Okay. So maybe that's what it was. Was I was thinking you did the future thing now, but, um, yeah, yeah, wait, wait, I think I'd seen something on Twitter that, uh, he had surgery. I was like, Holy fuck that. I mean, that just kind of snuck up on me that it was that quick. And then I think we had, uh, we're supposed to have the live show. What was it the next day or the same week of? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had my surgery Thursday morning and, you know, I was out running around on Friday again. So, I mean, you, you know, look, the, you looked a hundred percent. So I, I, yeah. I'll give those doctors credit. They did a good job. You know what the weirdest thing for me is? Um, and we talked about this a little bit on Friday, like that you're six foot six. No. Um, okay. So I, I had hurt my shoulder right before the 4th of July golfing. And I also forgot how delicate you are. <laughs> well, that shoulder's been on borrowed time, but um, it, it's still been bothering me. And I was supposed to get in to go, go see the doctor the week before last, but I was really sick. I lost 20 pounds again. Uh, but since my procedure this, this last week, I don't feel anything in my shoulder. I can tell the strength's still not there, but I'm not feeling the pain, which... I mean, that's a win. I guess it's a benefit. Yeah. I mean, I'm not waking up in the middle of the night with pain. So uh, I don't think my golf game is going to be back where I want it, but that that might not ever come back. Uh, yeah. At this point, not I, that I, it was ever there. I, I should preface that. I mean, it, it's it still sounds like even with one arm, you're still better than I am, Drake. So um, if you could transfer some of that knowledge to me, that would be super. <laughs> I'll take care of the game for both of us. I, you know what, man? I, I tell people this story all the time and nobody ever believes me, but a couple of years ago, like when I started playing golf a ton, I, I play a lot of golf for work. I haven't played that much this year, but I, you know, I go play a ton of golf for work, whether it's like an event that I'm sponsoring or I'm just going out with some realtors or whatever. I was to say, um, and if, if people know what you do for work, it makes a lot of sense because it's a stereotypical fall yeah. <laughs> what you do for work. But um, a couple of years ago, I, I played in a scramble on a Sunday or, or a Saturday. It was a Saturday and I played really bad and I was so mad. I went home and I watched for like three days, just YouTube instructional videos. And I took a little piece out of all of them and improved my golf game like overnight just by watching YouTube videos. I, I know not a lot of people can do it. And honestly, it probably didn't even help me. It just gave me a couple things to think about. But every time I get into a rut and I start playing really bad, I, I go back and I, I can't ever find the same video that I watched that helped me either. So I'm watching new videos and trying new things. And every time I just kind of I kind of work 
work my way through it. So it sounds like um, you're like, that's my recommendation to go watch some YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I mean, it, there actually is something to it. Um, it. It is a thing when you're training or doing any sort of uh, physical activity. If you are watching it while you're doing it, there is something with the mind-body connection where you will physically do it better. Um, mm-hmm. Just because there's an example straight in front of you. I tell people all the time I train. If it's right there in front of you and you're watching someone else do it, you're going to do it right. But Yeah, and you know, the hardest thing about golf, too, here in the Midwest is – I don't like playing it? on sim. Well, yeah, I don't like playing on simulators in the winter, so I won't go to like any of. I won't. I won't even go to Miracle Hills and hit in their heated bay. I won't go to Top Golf in the winter, and then come springtime, you haven't played for six, seven months. You you got golf just like any other mm-hmm. physical activity. You got to do it all the time to maintain. And so that's my, that's probably my biggest problem. And I'd say the average golfer in Omaha's biggest problem is. If you're not going and doing stuff in the winter, you're starting from scratch almost every spring. And then by mid to end end of summer, early fall, when you get into a rhythm, it, the season's about done. I mean, yeah, it's it's what you think about with any other athletic sport or anything like that. If you're only dedicating to that sport literally just during the season that it's up, you're, you're going to have a rough time during that season. You've done nothing to build the skill up toward it. And being in, in, in Omaha, Nebraska, I mean, it's the one thing that sucks is the fucking weather's awful. Hate this fucking yeah. place. And I don't even I don't even love playing like in the dog days of July when it's hundred degrees out. Like No, who who I, I drive by all the time when I'm on my way home and I see crazy ass white people all the time in their goofy ass shorts. <laughs> just just hammer drunk. At, at the golf course and they're just living their best fucking life in the middle of june and july they couldn't do it way too no, goddamn no. hot like my my wife and i were going to go play in a couple weeks with with a couple of friends and i said we we have to tee off by like 9 a.m 10 a.m which isn't ideal for some people on weekends i get that but i don't want to be playing at four o'clock in the afternoon when it's 100 degrees out like, absolutely not that sounds terrible yeah, I mean, if you give me, I'm also an early, early morning person too. So if you give me early morning as opposed to late, taking early morning every every time, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, so it's it's funny that you bring that up. Like we obviously just moved in historically at our at our old place. That podcast was paying off finally, huh? Yeah, for sure. All zero dollars we make. <laughs> um, I I used to wake up at like six a.m. without an alarm clock, like nothing. Our, our our new place faces a different direction. I still wake up at like seven on weekends, but during weekdays, like when I'm supposed to go to work, if I don't have an alarm, I'll sleep till nine o'clock. Damn. Oh, you're, you're not getting any sunlight, are you? No, not, not in the morning, not at our new place. Oh, that's, yeah, that's dangerous. Because again, I will still wake up at 7 a.m. on, on the weekends. I mean, you, you do have that uh, banker's body time clock where it's during the week. Yeah, you just, you sleep until nine and then on the weekends, Get up a little earlier to get that golf game in. It makes total yeah, sense. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I should say this out loud, but I feel like I do more work at night when I'm at home or on weekends at home than I do in the office Monday through Friday. It's probably just, you know, it's more because that's when people are looking at houses. People aren't looking at houses Monday through Friday, eight to five. 
I mean, it um, makes sense. That's when you're doing all your background work and all your yeah. That, that's shit, when I'm doing the house. That's when I'm doing the the housekeeping stuff and collecting documents. But you know, I today and yesterday have pumped out five, six pre-approvals for clients, which you know, it. I I rather have that than do nothing on the weekends and have to do housework. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm glad you're making money doing your job, Drake. That does make that actually makes me happy because then we can keep doing shit like this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I think we've bored our listeners enough. Let's let's dive into some real shit. Yeah, I think we have managed uh, about twelve minutes of just straight bullshitting so far. So we'll jump into this. If you're uh, still listening with us, you've come to it. If you're still listening to us on the regular, you've come to expect this. Yeah, this is just is this just is what it is. But real quick, I'll I'll give you some of the things we're gonna talk about tonight. Um Nebraska's wide receiver room and uh Xavier Betts. We'll we'll touch on that real quick. Uh, Joey McGuire uh, at Texas Tech. He's an interesting case, got connections to Nebraska's program, obviously. Um Mike Norvell down at Florida State. It seems like everyone's talking about Norvell right now, and we're gonna do it too. Uh, and then finally, what we'll finish up with tonight will essentially be, could there be a tie in the Big Ten East um, at the end of the season? So let's I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you no. All right. Well, <laughs> you're wrong, but that's OK. That's OK, Drake. Uh, I mean, let, let's start there. Let's start there. I mean, we can definitely it, start there because it does mathematically work out where they, they three teams tie. It's eating one. me alive. It's, it's eating me alive. Yes, mathematically, there's a way that it happens. Yeah, that's how numbers work. Fucking math works that way, Drake. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> but realistically, it's not. It's not feasible. Like, come on, man. You're uh... you're expecting a lot out of what has been a subpar Penn State team to all of a sudden go eleven and one. I mean, okay, I'm pulling up the the record now, but. Year by year. I know they haven't been a college football playoff team the last few years, but they've been they went eleven and two last year. Now I will say they had two down years. So since Franklin's been there, they've been above five hundred for let's see. Been there they got a 14. new quarterback this year. Yep. And it's supposedly it's one of the most talented ones they've had so far. But I feel like you could say that with any of course, they got talent there, but a lot of it depends on an entirely new backfield in, in, in general because I think they – nope, they're, they're running backs return. But either way, um, let's see. 7-6, and 7-6, 11-3, and 11-2, and 9-4, and 11-2. Since 2020 now, they've gone 4-5, and 7-6, and 11-2. and, seven and two. You don't think you, that, do you really think they're going eleven and one again this year? I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying they could. I mean the, I, the I the, have them at nine and four. But let's go on with your scenario. I'm just saying that so so here's a here's a scenario while putting up Penn State's schedule. Um essentially you would have Penn State beat Michigan November eleventh, Ohio State beats Penn State. October 21st, I am aware that these are not in order. And Michigan beats Ohio State on November 25th. Essentially. And we, we should preface this with these wins could come in any any direction. Like 
Penn State yeah. could be Michigan or Ohio State. Like it doesn't have to. Be yeah, it doesn't have to be only this way. It's one or the other, and essentially the rest of these teams went out. But if you look at Penn State's schedule this year, Drake, you tell me these the if these are wins or losses. Okay, West Virginia. I think that's a win. Okay, Delaware. I think that's a win. Okay, Illinois. I think that's a loss. And that's at Illinois. So you think that's at that's that's a loss. Yes. Uh, let me, I'll, I'll say this. I think they lose one of these two games that you're going over, Illinois in the next one. Okay. So it's Illinois or, and, and Iowa's next. Yep. Okay. So they lose either Illinois or Iowa. Uh, mm-hmm. Northwestern at Northwestern. Win. Uh, UMass. Win. Uh, at Ohio State. I think it's a loss, and I think it's an ugly loss. Okay. So you... You must think that Ohio State is either going to have that quarterback situation figured out or Penn State's going into a buzzsaw at that point. I do. I, I, I think Ohio State is going to rebound after back-to-back losses to, to Michigan. Um, they were the second-best team in the playoff last year. Um, they're a couple of bad calls and an injury away from beating Georgia. I think Ohio State's coming out with vengeance this year. Okay. Well, that, that makes a lot more sense. So they've got at least two losses now. Um, Indiana. I think that's a win. Okay. At Maryland. This one is a toss-up for me. Okay. Just because I I I expect Maryland to take a step forward, but I also – Fully expect in James Franklin fashion for Penn State to drop a game that they necessarily shouldn't. I think Penn State's better than Maryland, but I think it's a trap game for them because it is right in between Ohio State and Michigan, essentially. Yeah, and that's the wild thing about Maryland. It all depends on how you view them. How do you view Loxley? How do you view, view Tagovailoa? Like, you, you, you know the numbers are going to be there, but are they going to be there when they need to be? Or are they going to be just um, trash numbers, essentially, if you are. Are they going to be Pat Satters? I, I, well, so I feel like Maryland's really close to 2021 Nebraska, where they had the ability to compete. They might not, they might not even be as talented as the teams they're, they're playing against, but they have enough talent and leadership to be competitive. Can they close out some games? That remains to be seen. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of their games are just literally a coin flip at this point because th- they do have some dudes there, um, and they've got an experienced quarterback. When you've got an experienced quarterback, especially in the Big Ten, you can win a lot of games. So, mm-hmm. um, And that's at Maryland. With it being at Maryland, does that change anything for you? That That's really what gives it the toss-up for me. Okay, gotcha. Um, Michigan? I think they lose to Michigan. Now okay. I will say I give them, <clears throat> I give them a better shot against Michigan than Ohio State. Um, I think that's probably a one-score game either way. Okay, that may okay. Um, yeah, that that's fair. I, I feel like they're gonna get just with how they play. I feel like they could give Michigan maybe a little bit more trouble than Ohio State this year. Michigan, mm-hmm. I feel like Michigan's replacing a lot on the defensive side of the ball. Ohio State, 
they return a few more guys there. Um, and what's Michigan going to be able to do on the defensive line? That's that's one of my big questions, too, is how are they going to be able to replace what they've had the last couple of years there? And, and the other thing, the other reason I think that's a closer game is I don't think Michigan respects Maryland, so they don't really care about the next game, but it's two weeks out from Ohio State. Yep, it's and, it's that, that build up toward the game. Yep. Okay. And then the last two games of the season, Rutgers. Definitely a win. Okay. At Michigan State. Is that a sneaky one for you at the end of the year? It is. It is. I, I think Michigan State's gonna be a lot better this year. I would like to see Michigan State do well just for some of the folks on Twitter like like Snoop on there. Just See his Spartans tend, kind of take a bounce back. I'd like to see him. Uh, I think Alante Brown's going to have a big year at Michigan State. I really do. You know I'm a big Alante guy. That's true. You, you ha- you've always been a big Alante fan, even since he got on, even when he was on campus, before he got on campus. But, yeah, it would be great to see him. I completely forgot he transferred up there. Um, hate seeing him transfer in conference. But it, it's Michigan State. It is what it is. Nebraska doesn't play him, so I give a fuck less. I'd love to see him ball out. Yeah, I mean, so he, he he strikes he's to me he is very similar to a Wandale Robinson, um, maybe not as good in top end speed or to overall shiftiness, but I think he's a far better run blocker. I think he I think he has great hands. Some of the things that we saw him do at Nebraska and plays that didn't matter because the ball was thrown out of bounds or whatever were spectacular. Plus his hurdle at Michigan last year, like yeah. Alante Brown is good. It was criminally under underutilized here. And I hope that they know how to use him at Michigan state, because I think he's a very special talent. And with the loss of Xavier Betts, I would love to have him back in Lincoln right now. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what sucks is, is the, the lost in Lincoln. Um, well, I guess do we want to finish up this topic before we jump to Lincoln? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Okay, cool. We'll do that in just a minute. But all right, I, I, I see your point with Penn State. My absolute ceiling for them would be eleven and one, but I think your prediction of nine and three ish regular season it makes sense. I could see it being as bad as maybe seven and five would be probably worst case scenario for them with. Probably losses to Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan I mean, the State, thing that goes against Indiana them is, in my eyes, the thing that goes against them the most is, you know, relatively unproven quarterback play. And yep, talented, but but unproven nonetheless. Although West Virginia hasn't been great, they're they're not a slouch. So he's not going to have a super good get right game game one. But game three and four are two of the best defenses in the conference. Like, yeah, you you I'm, could convince me that they lose both Illinois and Iowa. Like, you really that, could. That was going to be what I was going to ask you: is bringing that up. Could you see a world? And it, it, I think it's more. I would say it's sixty forty that they they could beat one of the two teams rather than lose to both of them. Um, but I expect yeah. them to win one. But I think I think they go five hundred in those two. Yeah, if you if you don't go five hundred, let's say you lose both those. Let's say you're two and two coming out of September. How do you feel as a Penn State fan? 
because you've technically had two get right games with Northwestern and UMass before Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're Penn State and you're expecting double digit wins this year, I I think you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. And I understand like Penn State has been a, a very solid program the last four years, take out 2020. I just their schedule's tough this year. Their crossover games aren't easy. No, they're really not. I was gonna ask, do you have a lot of uh with the schedule being tougher, is it a, a faith in Franklin thing or is it just the schedule doesn't match up with the experience level they've got? Um Does that make sense? A little bit of both, which is okay. Yeah, no, a little bit of both for me, which is weird because I I am a fan of Franklin. I think he I think he's done a hell of a job since he's been there, but I think he has lost a little bit of cachet um, since the whole he might go to USC thing. Because um, that was what uh, two years ago now. Yeah, was that last year? Yeah, I think it was two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago because they ended up hiring Lincoln Riley. Yep. So. Okay. Yeah, it, um, it does seem like something was kind of taken away from him since that moment because even going 11-2 and two last year, you didn't really hear anything about it. I mean, it wasn't yeah, really on the tip of like, anyone's tongue. They went 11-2 and two last year, but I was never, like, super impressed with them the last two years. Like, when you told me they went 11-2 and two last year, mm-hmm. my jaw almost hit the floor because they did not look like an 11-2 and two team to me. No, and the crazy thing was, so the, here are some of the teams they beat that, and take the, some of these names for what they are. You went at Auburn. You beat them 41-12. to 12, Big victory on the road in SEC country. Now, you lose at Michigan 41-17. to 17. Not a great look there. Um, you lose uh, Ohio State at home 44-31. to 31. Not, a, not a terrible loss. Also not great. I mean, other than maybe Michigan State, 35 to 16 at home, they beat Utah, number eight, 35 to 21. So there wasn't an eight. And they got Utah early before Utah got, got right. No, so this was uh, at the end of the year, Rose Bowl. Oh, okay. Rose Bowl game. But, um, gotcha. yep, so that was that win was that there. But I, I do agree with, and this was with Clifford, a was he a six-year senior quarterback or five? I think he was six-year, but a five-year starter. Okay, he seemed like he's been there for fucking 12 years. A but decade? Yeah, he's actually with the Packers. i seen he was uh, in the preseason game. Yeah. Yes. His old ass. Was I was a Clifford fan. In it. I, we we debated true. about this. I like Clifford. That's true. You you are a Clifford guy, and you you – you actually tried to die on that hill, but um, he he made it to be an NFL quarterback, surprisingly enough. Um, and you know he you put know up a lot of. It's Adrian Martinez. Uh huh. You the boys out there just slinging it. Hey, scored the game-winning touchdown the other night. Good chance that he he's QB three by the time the season starts. You know he's a guy I, I could give a leave. Fuck less how well he does in his career. I just want to see him have an NFL or I just want to see him have a pro career with all the shit that he did or had to go through at Nebraska. Like, I don't get me wrong. I'd love to see him succeed at a high level there. Um, but no, if nothing else, I just want to see him actually have a pro career, even if it's riding the bench at this point. Just get paid, man. Yeah. Dude, I, He's going to be an excellent coach. 
here, here's how I feel about it. And you can tell me if I'm bad shit crazy, but like, I feel like he still has all the tools. He has, he has some elite mobility. He's not, he's not necessarily the fastest guy, but he makes a ton of guys miss that seven yard scramble the other night was outstanding in an NFL game. Um, I got a I name for you. Ball. Go for it. Antoine Randall L. Okay. He may not be as athletic as Antoine Randall L because I believe he ran a four, 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 three coming out of Indiana, but really athletic guy that he thrived as a gadget guy. I believe same thing with Heinz Ward though. Heinz Ward, I think played quarterback, um, mm-hmm. but you, you got a couple guys there that if given the chance, uh, he's not going to be a star receiver, but I feel like he could be a gimmick guy in the NFL. Yeah, well, I just I think he has all the tools to to get developed into a quarterback. He just never got developed at Nebraska. No, he really didn't. And and it was one of the things that I always bring up is it, it wasn't just a Adrian Martinez thing. It was a it was a um, culture thing in that room because you see the quarterbacks make all the same bad decisions. So it was something mm-hmm. was being taught into that room, and whatever the fuck it was, it was not right. Um, and, and we see it every week, but so I I actually went out on a limb and I said something very similar about Spencer Petrus today in a, in a group chat. Like Spencer Petrus, for all his faults, I think his poor play is definitely more of a a symptom of bigger problems than than his skill set as a whole. Like I don't think he's as talented as Adrian Martinez by any means, but he didn't really have very many good receivers. The tight end room was not as good as it had been. And their offensive line was the worst I I ever remember last year. They couldn't run the ball well. And I'm sorry, but if you are consistently really only looking to throw in third and long, what kind of success do you expect? Especially with no top-end receivers. Well, yeah, that was one of the biggest problems was the offensive line development. For the first time under Iowa in a long time, you could say it took a dramatic step back. Um. To, once Linderbaum was gone, gone essentially, you've seen that offensive line kind of go to the shambles. It was it was weird to see it, but I, I've always thought that Iowa quarterbacks, for the most part, were they're not as bad as they appear to be. But it's kind of like you said, it's a it's a um, what we're seeing. It's a fault is, in the is, system. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, what we're seeing on the field is is that fault every week, unfortunately. So, and, like Iowa has built their program around not letting the quarterback kill you. Don't let their mistakes beat you. On both sides but, of the ball, I feel like. Yeah, but when you build your offense around not letting the quarterback get into a position to hurt you, you're also not giving him a, not, a real opportunity to win you a game either. Yeah, that's that's very true. But I feel like it's a safe system, though, at that point as well, which I'm not even going to knock Iowa, Iowa for it. There's a reason they won as many games as they have. Yeah, the results speak for themselves. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a safe system. It's it's tremendous. So why why wouldn't you keep up with it? But at the same time, you're never gonna. It's it's hard to take that next step because you don't have that dynamic playmaker at that position, or your system yeah. can't be adjusted to have that dynamic playmaker. Mm-hmm. So, um. I guess should we get into Nebraska's wide receiver room? 
Yeah, let's do it. We planned on that about 30 minutes ago, but that's okay. Um, as most of you know, or if we're the ones that are breaking this news to you, surprise, uh, Nebraska lost another wide receiver this weekend. Uh, it's one they've already lost, but wide receiver from Bellevue West, Xavier Betts, no longer with the team, not a disciplinary thing. Uh, sounds like the young man just did not want to play the game. Hart was not in it any longer, unfortunately. That sucks. Yeah, it does. I mean, that kid has we we've seen it. He he has explosive big play talent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely um, stood. Just it's it's tough from from multiple perspectives. It's it's tough because you want to see the local kid succeed that had all these different expectations. But you also wanted to see him succeed because, you know, his his story is pretty pretty remarkable. You know, um, when when he came back to the team, you hear a lot of the problems were, you know, I don't want to say mental health problems. Like I don't know if he has like a mental illness, but he struggled mentally to mm-hmm. to stay engaged and things like that. And um, it sounded like previous staffs that didn't put the tools around him to, to help him with that. And this staff had, and by all accounts, you know, he was having a great camp, great spring looked the part and was due for a big year. Like take it, take away the, the fact that, you know, what does this do to the team? Right. Let's, let's take Mm -hmm. that part out of it and just look at him. Like, man, that would have been one hell of a comeback story. Would have been a great story for a local kid. Um, and you just I, I don't know if everybody feels this way. I hope that there's not there's not anything more at play here from like mental health because mm-hmm. we've heard that thrown around his name. Um and I just I've seen it happen with kids where in similar situations where they go off the deep end at this point and you don't ever want to see somebody do that, especially a kid that had had a future in front of him like he does. You hope he still finds a way to to get right mentally and, you know, go get his degree and and do whatever he wants that he's going to find fulfillment in. Um, you just hope the best for him. That, that's all you really can do. Oh, absolutely. And, and I believe he already put in the work by putting in, I, I, I think it was 21 credit hours, I believe Rule had said. So to put in that kind of work to get yourself academically eligible to play the game after what the young man had gone through, it, you know, he, that, that's a fucking lot of work and, and, and you feel for him. Um, and it, it, yeah. You, you just hope that it's one of those things that it, the young man can kind of find whatever the hell he wants to do. Or, you know, if that, if the game doesn't make you happy, there's, there's no point in playing. It's too dangerous to play. Um, yeah half-hearted or anything like that so we wish him nothing nothing but the best but um you know you you gotta now look at that room and it was already a pretty unproven room i feel like so that's fair uh to say outside of a guy like billy kemp who at, at the division one program has, has produced for four years that's that's mm-hmm. your proven guy at this point Outside of that, 
you know, Marcus Washington, when healthy, has, has showed up in games. But you, you really don't have anything else other than that. Fleeks and then our, uh, Garcia Castaneda have been the only other guys who have played snaps, I believe, at the Division One level. Yeah, so you have Fleeks, Oof. Kemp, Washington, Garcia Castaneda. Those are the only guys with significant reps. I, th- I think Ty Hahn saw some – time last year um but i'll I'll tell you there's there's four guys that i think can crack that that third spot um that can that can chase both fleeks and marcus washington for for that extra spot i think your your two your top two are going to be garcia castaneda and um billy kemp but there's there's four freshmen that I think all could potentially go get some reps in that third spot. And, and one of them, I saw a picture of over the, from the scrimmage yesterday and he looked like a tight end. Are you talking That's about another uh, local guy, Eric Gilbert? Malachi Coleman? No, I'm talking about Malachi Coleman. Jesus Christ. He's huge. Yeah. Six, four, one ninety. Um, But I, I, I also think Demetrius Bell, Jaden Dawson, Jalen Lloyd, all, all have a chance to to crack into that roster. So that's going to be the thing. Uh, a rule brought it brought up a number, and I believe it was two. You're going to need two guys minimum from this freshman class to really step up for that class to pop. They, they've got potential, a lot of potential there, but we've seen the last few years a lot of potential, but unfortunately it doesn't develop. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. But I think uh, Doss, Doss was a, a guy that when he committed – and even afterwards, I feel like he's kind of been under the radar. Even as as, as dynamic as he is and, and the numbers he put up, he feels like just a really underappreciated guy. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think a huge part of that is you have two local freshmen that I think are kind of stealing the spotlight from local media, especially Malachi Coleman. There's a lot of publicity around him, you know, with what he does with his high school NIL money, donating it back to the foster care system, like, He's got a great story, and then, you know, he's just physically the most gifted out of that entire room. He's 6'4", 190, track star, um, and then Jalen Lloyd is a legitimate track star. So I think those two are, are taken up. I, I forgot about Demetrius Bell, and Demetrius Bell was a highly touted recruit as well. So Yep, he was another four-star that they got got on real late in the process, but they ended up snagging him away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's a. It's it's wild the uh, amount of snaps that these freshmen are getting. I mean, you, you know, they were saying that they want 150 to 190 snaps um, per wide receiver or you know per player during practice, which is what they're doing now. You got to think that with the, that amount of snaps, you're you should hopefully be able to get something out of these guys this year. If you had to pick your two that are going to make an impact, who are you picking? That was yeah. That's a great question. I will probably go with um, I'll go Malachi, even though I, I thought he was a year away. I really did, but he he's he's flashing. So I'm gonna go with Malachi, and let's see. Also in that wide receiver room, I may go with um, I may go with uh, was it Lloyd out of um, Westside? Uh, yeah. Lloyd on on the uh, special team side. 
Yeah, I can see Lloyd making an impact special teams, but if I had to choose guys offensively, mm-hmm. I'm going Coleman. Yep. And I think I got to go Demetrius Bell. I, I think he's just – I think he's the most polished out of all of them coming in. Um, He might not be as talented physically or mm-hmm. as physically gifted as a guy like Coleman. Very few wide receivers are. Um. I don't know what he runs 40 time in comparison to Doss or Lloyd, but I know there's a reason why we were excited that we got him late. I know there's a reason why a lot of teams wanted him. Um, Usually kids that are recruited like that at wide receiver and kids that are recruited like that at wide receiver generally make an impact early on. So if I had, I, I would probably hang my hat on him over Malachi too. Um, just because like you said, I do, I feel like Malachi still has a lot to learn, especially with limited playing time last year at Lincoln East battling injuries. Yeah. Yeah. He unfortunately didn't get all the uh, snaps that you'd like to see on the field the last couple of years because of injury and he, him being so new to the game anyway, that anything that he does on the field, he's going to grow from. So him getting these snaps at the college level now is, is a great thing. The Minnesota game, oof, man, it, the more that that game's coming up, the, the less um, the less optimistic I am, unfortunately. Um, Here's and- the thing that I keep having to remind myself. This offense is going to look vastly different than what it has in recent years. Mm-hmm. We're going to see a lot more two tight end sets than we are three wide receiver sets. Um, and you know, there's a sneaky guy in here that, that I think is going to line up a little bit more wide receiver than originally planned, but he's going to play a lot of tight end and fullback. And that's Jiren Bonner. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the name that really popped us off season. Yeah. And you know, when we started this podcast last, last February, uh, our boy Fitz was pretty high on him going into the off season too. So. Yeah, Bonner was was a guy that he was very high on, and physically, I mean, I remember hearing about him. I think he's six three, six four, maybe. Physically, he he looks like a NFL player right now, but obviously, we need to see things happening on the field. So, I got a question mm-hmm. for you, Drake. I was looking at the last few years of white of receiving stats at Nebraska. So, let's say you have Billy Kemp as your number one wide receiver this year, stat wise as well. Are you happy with your number two, uh, your number two receiver being a tight end, aka maybe Thomas Fedoni? Oh, am I okay with it? Yes. Are you yeah. okay to have? Yeah, I think it? so. I think so. I mean, it's worked out with for Wisconsin and Iowa with them being one or number one or number two in the past. And the reason I asked that question is because the last five years, since I believe it was 2019 I went back to, a tight end has been one of the top receivers, one of the top five wide receivers for Nebraska. They've been as high as two. They've been as low as five. But they've had at least one tight end in the top five receivers uh, each yeah, season. I think in this offense that that is a better – better formula for success than mm-hmm. the previous offense. Uh, what I would, what I would tell you is... Utilize those big bodies. They're mismatches. Why wouldn't you use them? 
I would I, this year for for ultimate success. I don't know if it has to be one guy, but I think your tight end room and your wife and your running back room have to combine to be one of them have to combine. The whole room has to combine to be a top three receiver. That's fair. Okay. Just because I don't, I don't think you have enough top end talent at running back for one guy to do it. I don't know if you have, we haven't seen anything from any of these tight ends except Borkature truly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what the, I don't think you have enough talent at wide receiver for it not to happen. You, yeah. just, you don't have enough proof. You don't have enough proof in the pudding for wide receiver for it, for it not to happen. Well, this is one thing that as we were walking away on Friday, I said to you, and we were talking about offensive line and um, Teddy Prosk and different things. But one thing I mentioned is they're a year away from where they want to be ideally. I think not only is that phrase true to the offensive line, probably the defensive line as well, but also that wide receiver room. You are one year away from being happy with where you are based on the fact that you, you've got guys that you just need to get snaps to at this point. Yeah, and I, I think our defensive line is far way farther ahead than they thought they would be. Those freshmen ended up coming in ready to go. I think also you had a couple guys like Hutmacher, uh, Gunderson. You have those. I mean, nobody knew what to expect with Gunderson. Uh, Robinson bouncing back from the shoulder surgery. Like, you had no idea what to expect from those guys. And the jump that they've seemed to take going forward, adapting to the system, would just, just, it seems like it's it's, uh, organized chaos at this point. Yeah, I think the defense... The defense sounds like and appears to be, from what we've seen, light years ahead of what we expected, which is good. Defense generally is ahead under new regime change. But, you know, we, we've been battling problems on the defensive side of the ball from pass rush and defensive line for, it seems like, a decade now. Mm-hmm. And to hear what we're hearing out of fall camp um, is very promising. Yeah, and, and honestly, I expect the defense for Nebraska to be ahead of the offense for, I don't want to say most of the year, but it's easier to install a defense than it is an offense. And even with that being said, Tony White has come out, and I feel like they've done a great job of simmering expectations or limiting what what fans should expect this year for the most part. I feel like they've done a great job at bringing down expectations. Um, yeah. This this is going to be a, it's going to be a rough year I feel like but you're going to see a lot of growth throughout the year it's it's um, I started reading this book well I I can't I can't read let's be honest I'm I've got a book on Audible it's called Atomic Habits and there's there's something there about uh, just getting incrementally better one one percent better something rule is mentioned but uh, by getting better at different components and then putting everything together the the sum of the parts is now better because of the incremental growth. So I feel like that's where the, the team will get better as the year goes on. Yeah. And I, I think not necessarily because of the loss of Xavier Betts, but I think this offense gets a little bit more creative than they had originally planned to make things work. I, I still feel like there's a spot for a guy like Heinrich Harburg to have a place in this offense. I think Bonner's role is going to grow outside of being a lead blocker. I think he's going to be utilized in pass game because he's going to create mismatches as a fullback. Um, Do you think Bonner is the next uh, executioner? Is he going to take Brewer's spot? 
And just smoke a motherfucker coming across the middle. Is he yeah. the next Chancellor Brewington? Smack. I, I don't know, man. I, what Brewington did was very rare. I don't. I don't. Yeah, see he a killed lot of people on TV and got away with it. Only OJ I don't see a that. lot of guys block with that level of ferociousness. I've never seen a linebacker run away from a lead blocker on the goal line. And well, I saw it multiple times with Chancellor Brewington. Well, Drake, when you've done kilt a man, uh, most people aren't going to run directly at you. So I feel like that linebacker learned a lesson. It, it, it's, I think, I think Bonner has the ability to do it. I think he has the size to do it. But does he have whatever it is that, you know, let's call it what it is. There's something wrong in Chancellor Brewington's head to be willing to do it the way he did. Uh, yeah, he, he liked hurting people, which we could always break that down anytime Chancellor wants to come back on and talk with us. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, Chancellor, that, that was kind of the uh, comp I was going with for Bonner was, was Brewington. Built similarly, I, I feel like Bonner's bigger than Brewington was just because Bonner's a freak physically but i feel like could do a similar role where it's a motion guy going with what you said i don't know if anybody attacks the defense with that kind of intention though that that brewington did Oof. brewington looked like they were putting bounties on people yeah it looked like the old saints uh was it saints vikings game yeah. from nfc championship game of years ago oh bounty gates putting it on brett Favre. yeah 100 percent that's great shit. I, I, actually, I, I did get to watch some uh, preseason football today, uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the Saints. And you know what? It feels good watching football. I'm so excited it's back. I think we got, what, 20 days? Nope. Um, let's see. 18 Thir for the Nebraska game. 13 uh, until week zero. So I believe uh, the 26th will be the first slot of games. So I'm excited for that one. Trey Palmer caught a touchdown the other night from Baker Mayfield. That was that was a good catch. That wasn't something the catch that he had wasn't something that we got a lot of opportunity to see last year. Tight rope in the back of the end zone. No, it's crazy for multiple reasons. That and plus Bay May Baker Mayfield threw a touchdown pass. Hey, Baker I'm, Mayfield looked good in Los Angeles last year too when he filled in. Uh, he, he didn't look terrible. I'm I, see, here's the thing. When Baker Mayfield was at, with the Browns, I remember that preseason going up to it. I'm like, you know what? I think Baker Mayfield will buck the stigma. I said when he was drafted, he was going to be like Johnny Manziel. Well, he wasn't that bad. But I, I said, you know, he's not going to do shit in the NFL. And he had a solid career. I thought he was going to take the next step under Stefanski for the Browns. And then he got completely shit out. So Mayfield's a guy he, that's frustrating, I feel like, with his talent and, and where he's at. I think this is probably the best situation he's ended up in. You have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans to throw the ball to. You don't have anybody at your heels this year, at least. I don't yeah, think you have don't. anyone in the wings. Yeah, so I think this is probably his best situation. Um, he's had some tough growing pains, obviously. I don't think he's... MVP candidate or offensive player of the year candidate by any means. But I think he can get Tampa Bay to the playoffs. I do. I think that offense is good enough with him at the helm. Is that because that's such a shitty division? 
I mean, it's that's a, it's a bad it. division. It's not as bad as the NFC East. What? What do you mean? It's just it's just the Eagles in the East. That's not true. You have Dallas is going to do fine during the regular season. I don't know what the fuck the Giants are going to do this year. The the Giants are a team that could they win 13 games this year? Sure. There's a reason why your division is called the NFC least. It used to be called that. Now it's back up as one of the top divisions again, because I think you could have another three teams in the playoffs, depending on what the Giants do this year. I I do as much as I hate the fucking Cowboys and I hate the Cowboys. I feel like the Cowboys are still somehow squeaked their way into the playoffs because all they do is pad stats throughout the entire season and then choke every year. I th- it makes I think, me so happy. I think you have the Bucks and the Saints are are better than both better than the Cowboys. Are you? I I, I got to disagree with you. even talent wise. I feel like the Dallas Cowboys are one of the most talented teams in the in the NFL. They just don't they execute are, but the Mike, shit. But Mike McCarthy is their head coach, and Dak is their quarterback. Yeah. So I guess they do I, have that double whammy there. I just I feel like I feel like the Saints bounce back this year. If does Mike Thomas play? I think a lot hinders on that. I I completely forgot he was even on that team still because it's been. Yeah. Um, yeah I know he was out for an entire East. season. He's uh, he's gone for three games. I think suspended. Yeah, but he'll be back. I mean, he will be. It's just he's going to miss the first month of the season. Yeah, I can live with that. So, um, who else is in that NFC South? You've got Carolina, which trash. I, I, yeah, yeah, that team is what it is. It's a, it's a poverty franchise and has been forever, and it will continue to be. But then you've got the Falcons, who still don't have a quarterback. They've got Bajan Robinson, so it'll be interesting to see what they can do with him this year. And they got their tight end. Uh, they got Pitts there. Pitts is a stud. I don't know yeah. what they've got in the wide receiver room other than Drake London, but they, they, they've at least got a receiver there. Um, we've got the Saints, Bucks, Saints, Bucks, Panthers, uh, Falcons. I think that's it. Yeah, I think I think Atlanta's due for a bounce back year. I don't think the division um, will be as bad as it was last year, but no, I don't think it no will way. be. It'll be a good division. I feel like whoever at least wins the that division will at least be a plus five hundred team this year. I know that's going out on a huge limb, but nonetheless, I I think they're going to be back to you know a traditional NFL division. Season. I I think I think it'll be back to a traditional NFL division. Um, it's not going to be the AFC East. The AFC East is AFC East and AFC West are in my eyes, probably two of the better divisions in football. In the East, you have the Bills. You have, I expect the Jets to be a lot better. New England's still going to be hanging around, even though they haven't been good. And then in the West, you have the Chiefs, which is really all you need, and I, and the I Chargers. Feel, I feel like the Chargers or a, I don't know, I, I feel like they're a top four NFL like talented team offensively. I just don't know if they can get it together defensively, which is what Staley's been known for over there. Um, they just paid Herbert. I don't know if the offense is good enough to carry the defense, though. No, it's not. But 
they're going to give everybody in everybody they play is going to struggle with them. Oh, you're going to you're going to have to score thirty plus points every game to beat them, which I think there's there's a lot of teams on that schedule that can do it. But can the Chargers come up with one stop? I mean, if you win 30, be, 32 to 31, who cares? Who's going to be the worst division of football this year? Um, Let's see. Probably. I'd say the NFC West could do it. Because you've got Seattle. You've got the Niners. You've got the Cardinals. And you've got, what is it, the Rams? Yeah. So you've got those four teams. I, the Cardinals, you, you never know what you're getting the there. Worst? I just feel like there's so much up in the air that you don't know what you're getting with a lot of those teams. See, I go with the NFC North. I could see that too. There, there's a, Vikings, Bears, Packers. I feel like the two divisions we mentioned are arguing for the bottom in yeah. some form or fashion. But, yeah, I don't think you, you, you no longer have an, an, an elite NFL quarterback there. Oh, in um, the AFC East, you have Miami too. Like that AFC yeah. East division's loaded. I feel like the a- AFC East has the potential this year. If New England can get their shit together, if Miami can bounce back with two, if two is, doesn't bump his head anymore, uh, the Bills keep doing what they're doing, and, and the Patriots, you know, bounce back. Obviously, you get you get what you expect out of Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Yep, you get that expected. I mean, there's you're you're getting three teams from the AFC East in the playoffs this year. And I think I think you have four out of the who's is it four divisions, four teams in there or five? Four. I think all four are above five hundred. I really do. Yeah, you're. Gonna I have think a New lot England's bringing up the pack. I, I think New England's bringing up bringing up the rear. I don't think New England gets in the playoffs this year. I don't. Yeah, there's some there's some disconnect with Mac Jones and Bill Belichick up there that just doesn't seem to be working at this point. You're because you are a Patriots fan, aren't you? I am, and the last few years have made me sick watching that that franchise. Are they in the? Uh, do you think after this season that they are in the market for a? Basically to do what the Jets did last year, going for a senior-laden quarterback or someone that's kind of that all-star no, quarterback because, look for that other team. No, because they're missing so much on the offensive side of the ball. They have a couple of decent tight ends. They always have these unheralded running backs that do really well. Because um, it's uh, Ramondre Stevenson now, isn't it? Yeah, but before that, it was Sonny Michelle, yep. James White for a long time. Um, Danny Woodhead. Danny Woodhead, Rex Burkhead for a year or two. But you don't have any wide receivers. No, no. And even on the defensive side of the ball, like you were at least used to seeing that defensive side. And I know it was still a, a, a good defense, but like there were no names that you recognize. You used to have your Ty Laws, your T- Teddy Buschini's, your uh, Richard Seymour's. Like you don't have the names on that defensive side of the ball like you used to that really popped. Yeah, de- defense has been down a little bit. kind of a nameless but defense. You, I mean, last year the biggest problem was Matt Patricia was the offensive coordinator. Yeah, that dude, you, yeah. You brought, in, the, you brought back Bill O'Brien, who I think is a good NFL offensive coordinator. But you got to give him some to work with. I mean, he had Tom Brady towards the end of his golden years, right? And but you know who else he had? He had Rob Gronkowski. He had Julian Edelman. He had 
gadget guys that made magic happen. He had James White. He had Rex Burkett. He had uh, Danny Woodhead. He had like he could get creative to make things work. And you had the greatest quarterback of all time. Absolutely. Now you have Mac Jones, and you don't really have a running back that can catch a pass, and you don't have a single wide receiver that can get open across the middle. Yeah, you don't scare anybody beyond the ten yard line. That's it's hard to it's hard to get any anyone out of the box at that point. And yeah, you can't get separation, which I don't think anyone's been afraid of in New England since maybe Randy Moss was there. I mean, there's just been nothing, unfortunately. I mean, I, I you got to give Brady even more credit now with how that how bad that offense has looked with what he was able to do up there for so many years. Well, if anything, you're vindicated in the fact that at this point it's been proven that Brady wasn't a system QB and he carried that that team. Now, they did go out and get a couple. They got some talent on defense. You got Kyle Duggar. You have Jack Jones. You have Jonathan Jones. Like, you're back, Marcus Jones. Your back end is pretty good. You still have Jalen Mills. Um, you went and got Jabril Peppers, Quandre Mosley. Um, Peppers is a guy that I, I remember coming out of Michigan. How highly he, how highly thought of he was. Yeah, and then you went back. You you brought back Trey Flowers, um, Lawrence Guy Seniors back. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Dietrich Weiss, um, Jawan Bradley, Chris Board, gosh, Matthew Judon. Like you have some names on the defensive side of the ball, but. When you get down to down to offense, first off, your offensive line isn't that great. Malik Cunningham's probably going to be your second quarterback, or Trace McSorley, or Bailey Zapp. Um, like you're I, not I great, know, Clark. Not great. No, and then you have Ramondre Stevenson, Pierre Strong Jr., JJ Taylor. Those are your running backs. Um, Mike Jasicki and Hunter Henry are your tight ends. And then when you get into wide receivers, you have Kendrick Bourne, uh, Kayshawn Booty, Ty Montgomery is in New England, and Devontae Parker. Like, I guess you still have Matthew Slater. You did go get Juju Smith-Schuster and Tyquan Thornton. Like, there's not anybody in that wide receiver room that I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a guy get close to 1,000 yards receiving because we're not. Devontae yeah, Parker has been the most disappointing receiver in football for me for like the last six years. Yeah, that that's not a that's not even a uh, good wide receiver room at this point. I don't know how you expect Mac Jones to really succeed at that point with little to. You could convince me it's no the worst help. wide receiver room in the NFL. I don't need to because you're a fan. Yeah, and <laughs> it's a pretty pretty easy conversation for me. Unfortunately, you have to watch it every week or when you are, are deciding to watch those games. That's yeah. another thing I'm excited to do. DraftKings is going to be coming up. I'm so excited. Got my money I'm about to throw in there and about to lose it all. About to go for broke. <laughs> I know how this goes yeah. every year. But uh, we didn't talk about anything we were planning on, but that's fine. Uh, Drake... <laughs> Drake, you got anything else tonight, my man? No, I'm good. We will save Joey McGuire and Mike Norvell for next week. Yeah, we'll we'll figure something out with that. So um, thanks for joining us tonight, everybody, here on Church of the Corn. Uh, for Drake, for myself, have a great week, everybody. We appreciate it, and uh, have a great night. We'll see you later. Hail Varsity Radio, every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m.
On Thursday's show from counterread.com, Brandon Vogel, former Colorado football head coach Gary Barnett, and staff writer for The Athletic, Mitch Sherman, that and more. Hail Varsity Radio is the best sports talk radio show around. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal have you covered every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Hail Varsity Radio.